From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 174 of the Killing It podcast. This is Carl, and I'm joined today by Dave and Ryan, as always. Uh, Dave and I are in boring places, but Ryan is in Hawaii. I am in Hawaii, and it is brilliant and beautiful, and, and, and I will be an ambassador for the entire state for the purpose of saying, all oh, y'all should come and visit. Let's let's do a killing it live from Hawaii. I think it would be brilliant. The sounds of the ocean lapping in the background. It would be it would be fantastic. But it also has high speed internet here in in, in our condo. So <laughs> I am truly a digital nomad this week. I will quip and go. Who are you calling DC boring? It's a great city, especially in the summer when the weather's nice. Like, <laughs> like, this this is when I like it best. This is when it's, when it's the best time. I was out under the stars last night. That's a good friends point. on a patio. It's I mean, I, I'm also I'm I'm a, a chamber of commerce uh, fan of Sacramento, so I have to say I don't think it's boring. I'm going to the state fair this week. All right, I'm gonna have some fun with the question today, guys. Alrighty. How would you describe spiciness? to someone who has never tasted anything spicy in life. Hmm. While you think I'll kick it off. Okay. Imagine if your tongue was on fire. (laughs) That's like adding spice. (laughs) (laughs) See, these are the kinds of philosophical discussions we used to have when we were freshmen in college. And you would stare out at the great wide universe and say, how do I know that the color you see as blue is the same as the color I see as blue? And we would get very deep and philosophical and nobody could explain it back then. Uh, my, my best advice, if you had never tasted anything spicy, take a nine volt battery, stick it on your tongue. Ooh, That's what we're talking about. Oh, that's a good one. That's actually pretty good. So for me, I, I don't like that kind of spice. So for me, spiciness just means flavor because the spices I use are ones that add flavor, not ones that uh, make me regret my decision to eat here today. <laughs> so, but how would you describe it, Carl? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't imagine anybody not having tasted spice. Uh, well, good listeners, we have stumped Mr. Polichuk. <laughs> it only took 174 episodes to reach a question that Carl could not answer. <laughs> I can just make shit up, but I won't. But he won't. Well, gents, MSPs are frequently at the forefront of cybersecurity challenges. Between changing customer expectations and the growing threat landscape, they're stretched thin, and they need a helping hand. Download research sponsored by Field Effect and learn how offering MDR increases revenue, simplifies operations, and maximizes margins for MSPs. This independent analysis explores the growing managed detection and response market and how MSPs can differentiate their managed security service with the right MDR solution. You'll also find insights from five MSPs who've added Covalence, a hybrid MDR solution, to their offerings and the positive effect it has had on business. Want to learn more? Check out the link in the show notes. I'm going to kick us off today with one that was close to my gamer heart. Uh, The headline is, Sony's racing AI destroyed its human competitors by being nice and fast. 
the premise is is an analysis of those play, playing Gran Turismo, which anybody knows is Sony's offering in the racing space. Uh, this is done. This is a competitive esport as well as not just you know a game that's, that's played. And Sony was working. Sony AI was working on building a program to race cars. And what was fascinating to me about the story was they learned that speed alone didn't make their GT Sophie a winner. While they could outpace them, they couldn't always win. And what they found out that in races with multiple human drivers, they kept losing. And intelligence was part of the, the rationale. So they actually went back and started working on learning etiquette and understanding risk analysis and the right times to push and the right times to actually pull back so that you can be more competitive. And in fact, have now pulled ahead to the point in some cases, the second, second and a half lead on human drivers, which in the realm, a realm where it's milliseconds make a difference, that's a real difference. Gents, I was totally taken with this, that etiquette and risk analysis was the, the learning. Ryan, what did you get out of this one? I know you were jumping to something. Yeah, absolutely. See, my first reaction is, oh, if etiquette is the secret to success and winning in the gaming world, that's why it's easy to defeat the humans because there is no etiquette in the gaming world, right? <laughs> uh, the gaming world is notoriously confrontational, aggressive, keyboard warrior environment where people are out there to just go fast. But, and I think this is a very interesting case study of applying the nuances of radically fast motorsports indicate that true success is not just mash gas pedal and steer as hard as you can and off you go. Uh, you have to have situational awareness, and that's a different scenario. Really struck with the, how this is sort of a modern version of something called, in political science research, the evolution of cooperation. So there's a great, great book uh, written by Bob Axelrod in the 1980s where he, he invited hundreds of people to write programs to play Prisoner's Dilemma against each other, right? And Prisoner's Dilemma, I won't go into all the details, but basically it's a two-person game where uh, if you cooperate, you all stay in the game longer. If one of you defects and the other one doesn't, the, the, the winner takes all and then the loser loses everything. So how do, you, how do you get people who can't communicate with each other to cooperate over time? Uh, and hundreds and hundreds of programs are run against each other and the winning program was called tit for tat. In other words, you cooperate until the other person defects and then you immediately defect once and go back to cooperating again. So there's actually the, the computers learn to cooperate with each other. I would love to see them say, hey, you know what? Let's redo that research with AI and see if we come to the same results. Because it, it kind of sounds like you would, that it's actually, you're going you're gonna to win more through cooperation. And then you only defect when you absolutely yeah, it was the have to. It's the subtlety of highest performers that I was really sort of taken with that the, I mean, I'll push back a little Ryan as a bit of a gamer, like anybody that, that knows it, that knows that the true way to do that is not necessarily florid. When we look at professional esports players, either 
sort of single players like in the fighting game community or in team sports like you know where, where it's played competitively and that thing it's actually much more about the subtlety of situational awareness that is much more important than just oh ram you know ram it on through sure if i go in you know a skilled player can mash it to the floor and defeat a non-skilled player that's the simplified version that we think of like with online gaming but if you get into the subtlety of professional and the people that have truly honed their skills it's knowing those subtleties and it's the systemization of that that really fascinated me that they identified the okay we're going to have to not just teach it the basic skill, but we actually have to model and teach it the more complicated nuance of high performance. See, and I think that that has two very, very important lessons. Number one, not to sound like a teenager who is trying to justify to his dad why more screen time is okay. Those are legitimately valuable life lessons to be learned in a gaming scenario. I, I continue to be fascinated by the industry and the arena of esports, especially in a K-12 application, right? When kids get to test scenarios and try to be the good guy, try to be the bad guy, try to cooperate, don't cooperate without real life consequences. And they can learn those lessons in an insulated sandbox environment. I think that is brilliant. But the second layer on the technical side, the fact that you can actually teach an algorithm about trade-offs and negotiation and cooperation. I did not get a hundred percent of what I wanted, but because I gave a little, I got more of what I needed than I would have gotten if it was just a straight confrontation. That's amazing in terms of code development. I, I have a lot of friends who work in the AI space and the way we train and educate algorithms to become more intelligent is dramatically affected by human bias, right? We teach it to behave the way we want it to. The fact that this can actually learn to modulate between humans in a competitive scenario and maybe help us get along with each other in those situations, that's freaking amazing. I also like the idea that you let it go for a while and then you examine it and say, a oh, little human intervention goes a long ways. <laughs> How would I tweak this to improve it? Because subtlety, is hard to teach even among humans and uh, so the next question is how can we get members of congress to play this game and learn to cooperate <laughs> such a loaded question such a loaded question and my, my answer carl is hell yes <laughs> <laughs> all right guys let's jump over to our second topic here and one that you know, we're, we're not going to do this from a news analysis point of view, but from a business strategy point of view. The headline that we are looking at is focused on lessons that might be learned from previous market crashes in the context of today's crypto winter. So for those of you who are not familiar with what's going on in the crypto marketplace, it ain't rosy. It's not exactly a growth marketplace, although truth in advertising and reporting here. Uh, the last couple of weeks, you've seen maybe there's a little bit of an uptick in some of the primary uh, Bitcoin, Ether, etc. They've been having uh, some, some noticeable gains in the last couple of weeks, but still, we've took what was a $2.5 trillion marketplace of cryptocurrency and we made it a trillion dollar marketplace in less than six months. Mike, you know, the question of the article and the question of the, the topic that we're getting into here is, 
okay, what's next? And because you can't predict the future, you need to look back at the past. And the article draws some incredibly interesting parallels between the dot-com crash, the Y2K crash, you know, previous technology market craterings that then brought forth some good ideas and business models. I'm fascinated to hear what your takeaways are on this. Are there lessons to be learned here? And, and, and is it less than the end of the world from a crypto market point of view? There's always lessons to be learned. I, I do have to say, uh, if you go back in history, there's also technologies that crashed and never came back, right? So <laughs> let's not forget that. Uh, you know, we're, I think we're still not clear uh, where the, the coin piece of this has a place. Um, clearly, I think we all agree, Bitcoin is, is up in the air, but blockchain is rock solid. Blockchain is the future. That doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's going to be uh, Bitcoin. You know, I was watching a movie, and I'm surprised that Ryan hasn't mentioned this before, but I was watching an old movie <laughs> called Harry Never Holds. Uh, with James Coburn and Walter Pidgeon. And Walter Pidgeon says, you know, uh, it's these, it, they're, they're pickpockets, right? And he said, you know, it's the credit card that's made life horrible for us, right? Wait till they, those go away, we go back to cash. And uh, James Coburn says, uh, cash is the one that's gonna go away. Credit cards are gonna be around forever, but eventually we're gonna get rid of cash and it's all just gonna be numbers in a computer. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like 1970 or something. <laughs> <laughs> Nostradamus but, right but, there. But, you know, remember that, there were technologies a hundred years ago, like hydraulics and compressed air that people thought would absolutely be more popular than this stupid thing called electricity, which just seems dangerous, right? So there are technologies that can win the day, but just don't, don't seem to make it in the end. And uh, Bitcoin and, and the other cryptocurrencies just might be that. So uh, if you want to put your money into it, go right ahead. Just, you know, know that you are gambling more than investing. Well, I, I had two big things that I, I wanted to, that I took away from all this. The first is, is the timing is everything, right? So big spectacular failures like Webvan and Pets.com are called, you know, Chewy and Instacart now. It's about timing and it's about the ubiquity of, of the tech, right? Uh, Early social media stuff didn't work out. Facebook exploded because of the timing of the iPhone that had a camera with also having the app and the ability to share. Like, they needed the camera for this to be a thing to share pictures. Like, timing really matters. These aren't necessarily bad ideas. They may just be badly timed. And we have to have that lens to this and say, like, it is about all the right things being ready for, a, for an idea to take off. The second I also do is, is fundamentals are fundamental for a reason. You know, there were there are businesses that made it out of this, notably, I don't know, Amazon or even WebMD, which have real, real businesses and managed to execute on those business plans and are still around today. We talk about the dot-com bust like it wiped out everything. That's not what actually happened. Right. A bunch of stuff all got wiped out, but there were also a bunch of things that that made it through were good ideas and continue to thrive because their timing was right. So for me, it's these two things. Now, looking at crypto. Uh, yeah. Bunch of it's probably too early, guys, like not fully thought out or doesn't have the fundamentals all down. 
That's not to say that I'm going to be dismissive of the entire category. My lesson is the like, is it badly timed? Are the fundamentals right or wrong? And if I can look at those things, I can make better choices about what's going to make it and what isn't. Yeah, see, and, and that's exactly where I go. Business fundamentals create lasting economic models that not only meet a customer need, but leverage a new technology to do things that are more interesting, more entertaining in ways that were literally never possible before. That model sounds exactly like what you're talking about, Carl, around the blockchain, right? That is an interesting application of technology to solve a pressing challenge using tools that never existed to create capabilities we could only once dream of. Okay, that sounds like the foundation of a sustainable marketplace, but to borrow the economist's language here, irrational exuberance at the early stages of any new technology market is the reason why all of us are so familiar with the idea of the hype cycle. We get in early, we sell the daylights out of it. You're gonna make all the money in the world and it'll be easy. And then it crashes when people realize that's hokey. And eventually we get this gradual slope of enlightenment that leads us to practical use cases. This is exactly where I think the opportunity is right now. If you are a solution provider, a managed service provider, an application developer, now is not the time to go, oh, crap, crypto winter, run away from everything associated with that. Now's the time to sift through the ashes and say, OK, but other than the Ponzi schemes and the silliness that have been going on in get rich quick stuff, what exactly lasts and where are the new service deliverables and the new capabilities? We talk a lot about the blockchain. I actually read a white paper uh, last week about business and industry applications of NFTs and not just bored apes and not just, you know, silliness in, in the digital art ownership world, but ways to create the bridge. And uh, you, you guys are, you know where I'm going with this. It's the bridge from the physical world into the digital twin. And it is only possible when you do that with a, an immutable record of transactions and ownership that creates the digital world in a way that is not just, you know, it, it actually creates a world in which we are ourselves online and not just lying avatars and, and fake account names on Twitter. I think there's brilliant applications and that's where I think the real winners are going to come from crypto. People who look at it today and go, okay, so I didn't lose all of my life savings in the silliness, but I am around to just kind of sort through the ashes and go, that's a legit business application right there. We have to remember that this is a very common thing that happens is super early adopters, you know, they get eaten alive and then their assets are sold 10 cents on the dollar. That's, I mean, think about literally 15 years ago, dark fiber, right? All these people knew fiber was the future. They invested in it and they built millions, if not billions of dollars worth of infrastructure. They all went bankrupt and then their assets were sold 10 cents on the dollar. and five or 10 years later that fiber fiber got lit up. You know, sometimes technology uh, is ready before society is ready for that technology. But those investments built built what we're working on. All of that dark fiber that was built out at high cost that was then sold off in pennies of dollars is the foundation of what we're doing now. You know, so so there is real value that comes out of that in some of the assets. 
Uh, sure, a bunch of gamblers, investors, lost money, but that's not my problem, right? That, <laughs> like, if you're looking at it from the services opportunity perspective, it's like you're looking for the spaces where the assets are going to be worth something, the ideas are going to be worth right. something, and figuring out the timing. Yeah, I always want to be in that second stage, not the first stage. <laughs> exactly. I, I learned that lesson from Bill Gates a generation ago. Bill didn't invent marketplaces. Bill observed and then optimized marketplaces and technologies. Uh, there, there are still very many lessons for the crypto bros to come from Mr. Gates and, and the way that he built his empire. Sadly, that's it for that topic. That's all the time we have. So topic number three today, what part of the tech industry grows during a recession? Uh, we're pointing to an article from GoDaddy about, of course, what GoDaddy does, domain names. Uh, I happen to be somebody who owns about 272 domain names, so I have, I have some interest in this uh, piece of the market. Um, and it's interesting because the, the way that they're interpreting this is that basically people uh, you know, have difficult times and what do they do? They become entrepreneurs and that shows up, that is measured by their willingness to go out and register new domain names. I think there's something to that, but I also, uh, I think there's also waves of people who say, if you've got extra money, grab the domain names because you never know what, what they're going to be worth. I will say, if you're listening to this and you're tempted, don't go buy a bunch of dom domain names if you don't know what you're gonna do with them because uh, you, you see that on the aftermarket, something goes from being $10 to being $1,000 and suddenly the demand disappears for quite a while. Uh, this is definitely a buy and hold strategy. Well, so I was taking with with sort of two. First off, yes, don't buy it unless you have an idea. Unless even if the if you have an idea and it's not fully formed, that's okay. By the way, I will will laugh, smile and go. I bought MSB Radio like eleven years, twelve years ago, before I had a really great idea, but I had some kind of impression of what I might do with it. Uh, that's but so so there's a balance there. The the second I actually was the is that the the angle again that I thought of was that, look, this is also startup time. People get entrepreneurial during disruptive times. And then one of the points that was being made here is, yeah, people go out and they buy a domain name because they're looking, they're associating their brand, their online identity with this time. Those of us that, I mean, I've launched businesses during downtimes. Those tend to be even stronger than those that don't uh, because they're very focused on fundamentals and they know they if you can make it when resources are not flowing wildly, you're a much better positioned than a business that launched when everything was easy. And so I was really taken with the like, look, you've got to remember, this is a time of disruption and new hungry startups will appear during this and they'll take advantage of the situation to offer different takes on it, different services, different packaging, and be aware that's what's coming. Yep. See, and, and that's where that's where I think, again, this is a good illustration of I will call this a major evolution of humanity. Right. Because we all know the cliche that says businesses are formed in economic downturn cycles. That happens. Right. We all know that that is uh, that that's a piece of reality, but that's not exactly voluntary. Those people didn't just come out and go, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to start a new business in a shitty economy. What they said was, oh, crap, I lost my job. I need more money. Inflation is going up. There are all kinds of economic challenges. I need a new 
solution i needed a new approach and therefore desperation is the mother of innovation and it creates things that are as you say dave they are vibrant they are robust and they are focused on revenue minus cost of goods equals gross margin and they force themselves to operate a legitimate business model what this article is is underlining is all that is still true multiplied by your digital presence online. And they, they're very keen to say, this isn't just like your e-commerce website and your corporate online brochure and whatever else. This is you as an individual, even if you never intend to transact via your domain, if that's not your business purpose, it is your digital presence and it's how people will find you, how they will come to understand who you are and what you do and how they can test drive your ideas before they might reach out and go, hey, I'd like to hire you or I'd like to buy the service that you are providing. I think the marketplace for corporate, what will eventually become corporate stores or stations online, that's a tiny fraction of what is happening now when everything goes dark and you actually have to compete in the world again. Well, you'd better have not just a good resume, not just a good interview story to tell. You better have a killer di digital presence or else people will think you are yesterday. There are people, many people, who don't name their business until they know they can get the domain name. Right. Man, that's a that's a modern I will thing vouch that, for that. that, you know, has emerged in the last 20 years. Uh, you know, I have very few regrets in my life, uh, especially with regard to business. But I'll tell you, two of them, they came back to back summer of 1995. I knew I was going to quit my job and I went to go get a domain name. And of course, 1995, uh, I didn't want to buy KP.com uh, because it was two hundred and fifty dollars. So I waited and. I lost it. And then when I actually quit my job in the fall of 1995, I went to get kpe.com and I thought, nah, I should use the whole name of KP Enterprises. And so now the Kuwait Petroleum Exporters own kpe.com and I don't. <laughs> On the other hand, I will say that I have bought and sold domains over the years and, uh, um, you know, the highest price domain I ever sold was $100,000. But you literally, that's that's good money, don't get me wrong. But you that's, re that's real money, Carl. Let's, let's but, acknowledge that's real money. But you can't make a living at it unless you do one of those a year, right? Uh, <laughs> doing it once is awesome, but then, you know, life goes on, so. Yeah, but I've, I've done it zero times, so you're doing all right. <laughs> like, See, but I, I, I do think that little spin on this story is very interesting because they touch on it in the article, the secondary market for reselling. And they make the point that the primary market for buying a domain versus secondary for buying some other existing, the, the resale market is radically smaller than the original market. But once you get inside of that interesting little niche, the price points are not kidding, right? Like the examples of 100,000 is legit, but 10,000 is not even remotely unheard of in, the, in that auction-based environment. So that, you know, in addition to all this other grand digitalization of ourselves and our businesses, the fact that you could make $10,000 for selling seven letters.com, like that's legit return. Aware, it might take you 10 years to get that. 
names, right? Yes. So, you know, one of the things about owning hundreds of domain names is you have to renew them every year, right? And so, you know, there, there are many thousands of dollars of, of, you know, maintenance and investment. So uh, don't, well, don't everybody run that, out and spend all your money on domain names. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you, you don't just have to renew them. You have to remember to renew them, which is why you hire a solution provider to do that stuff for you because you will forget. Now, look, I would be remiss if I did not observe that these assets, your domain, your site should be a money generator. Uh, and I'm going to go on my little IT solution provider rant here and remind you, our IT solution provider listeners should be taking hard looks at their website and recognizing that if the only way to get in touch with you is phone or a contact us form, you are doing it wrong. Okay, you are doing it wrong. There is more ways to generate business than just that, and you are well behind the times if that's the only way you do it. These are assets not just because you own the domain, but because what that online presence does for the rest of your business, particularly in 2022. And, you know, having started several, you know, adventures in the last few years, I'm still amazed at how many great domains are available, right? I mean, it's just, you know, it's amazing that you can come up with like two or three words and the domain is available, right? Every time I go out, because I insist on having a .com, because I just think that's where most of the business of the world is done. And so I go out looking for things and I will buy extra domains. I'll buy a .net or a .biz so that I can have two domains that are almost the same and I can do marketing, you know, using different landing pages. Um, but I want a .com and I've never failed to find a good .com even you know, in the last few years when you think that all the good stuff is already gone. Well, and see, to take a, to take a corner at that side of things, uh, I'd like to be the ad agency that got paid during the big corporate transition from Hewlett Packard to HPE and HPI. Like, for six little letters, some branding agency, and they, you know, on one of them, they drew that little interesting green rectangle, like fascinating branding and graphic design. Some ad agency made hundreds of thousands of dollars for that little slice of creativity. So, Carl, yours was KPE. There's this HPE. Oh, you were just one little so slanted close. leg on a letter. You were so close. So you close. Sold it to them. <laughs> Sadly, with that and, and all the lost riches that I don't have from the Kuwait Petroleum Exporters, <laughs> we will conclude episode 174 of the Killing It, Killing it. Killing it. podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.